0: Welcome back to Genesis. We're in Genesis 18 this morning. And uh, if you've been with us last year, we uh, launched into a verse by verse study into the book of Genesis. Genesis is a book of foundations, it's a foundational book to Scripture, it's a foundational book to our faith. And understanding Genesis really helps to inform and give us the foundation we need to understand the rest of the Bible. And so, We've been walking, I think, this is our 22nd or 23rd message in this series, walking through this book, verse by verse, and chapter by chapter, the last six weeks, we took a little break from Genesis for that Know Your Why series, and we talked about why are we here, what's the purpose of our church, and, and last week I preached Know Your Why in kind of a summary, but then also challenged each of us to know our why, and I, I heard some good feedback from several this week that it was a challenge to you, and a challenge is I'm challenging myself to really make sure that I'm living my life on mission, on purpose, if you will. And I heard from several um, that maybe on a little level it was almost like, Um, maybe not condemnation, but like, am I really accomplishing it? And and, um, the goal of that series and of last week's message, I just want to say, um, by way of introduction before we jump in, don't be condemned by those thoughts. Here's the reality. Nobody is, is living, has it all figured out, is living perfectly and doing all of that. My goal with that message and that series was not to condemn any of us that we're just no good, worthless people, not living for anything that matters, but to challenge us. Where are we at today, and what is our next step in our spiritual growth, in our, in our lives living for God, in whatever roles we have, and in our next step in our involvement in our church family here at Liberty? So don't be condemned, and don't, don't beat yourself up, but be challenged. God, what's the next step you have for me in, in the roles and relationships you've given me? And that's a great place to start. One person in the lobby afterwards says, I don't really know how to find my why, I don't know. And I, I said, start with your roles and relationships in life. Uh, for me, I'm a, I'm a Christian, I'm a husband, I'm a father, I'm a pastor, I'm a friend, I'm all the different roles, and then look and say, God? What's the next step? What do you want me to be doing in those roles and relationships? I won't take time to re-preach that message, but just a a challenge there. And that's where we've been the last six weeks. And so the last time we were in Genesis was on New Year's Day. And if you were out of town or on vacation, then it's been a long time. It's probably been seven, eight, nine weeks since we've been in Genesis together. By way of review, where have we been um, from a big oversight view of Genesis? Uh, What have we seen in the book? Of course, at the beginning we've seen creation. And uh, Genesis starts, Genesis 1, in the beginning, the first verse, God created, and we looked at creation, the seven days of creation, and God created His plan for for gender, His plan for marriage, His plan. We looked through all of those things, and if you've missed any of these messages, you can go online on, on our website, our Facebook page, our podcast, a bunch of different areas and ways where they're archived. We saw creation, and then we saw it was a perfect creation. And with, with uh, sin, sin came in, and man's free will, Adam and Eve chose to sin. We saw the fall and the results and consequences of that. And, and then we saw the flood as man began to do that, which was right in his own eyes. And the Bible says that every man's uh, imagination was only wicked and evil continually, and God, it, it grieved God that he had made man. It repented him, the Bible says. And, and he sent a worldwide flood. And we talked about that, the Noahic flood, Noah's flood. And then after the flood, man began to multiply and and then began to turn away from God again. I'm sensing a pattern that God blesses. And then we walk away, and and we had the Tower of Babel. We saw that, and, and the dispersing and, and confusing of languages, and really where the, the basis of where we would get the languages of, of our world today were separated and began there at the Tower of Babel, and so we have now man in different people groups, different languages, different cultures, and, and we have people that are, many of them, many of which are not living for God, not following after God, and so we have a very important character. That's the, what you see there is the first 11 chapters of Genesis, really the rest of the book is about really the family that comes from one character, and we're introduced to that character, Abraham. He started as Abram, and then God changed his name to Abraham, and we're introduced to this character. and The reason he's so important is because it's from Abraham that God is going to send eventually his son, his only begotten son, Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world, the Messiah. And really, the Old Testament, the rest of the Old Testament is that story of a people that God has set apart to bring forth His Son to this world. It starts with perfect creation, then we have the fall, man messes stuff up, and the rest of the Old Testament, the, the narrative is this, that God has a way to redeem His people. He will not leave us in our sins, He wants to save us, He wants, and so we have Abraham, and we see what we saw with Abraham, his call, his call to leave his people, and then God's promise that He would be a chosen people, his, He would make a great nation of them. We saw that promise, and and then we saw Abraham and Sarah's doubt, and from that came Ishmael, the father of of the Arab race, and God said, I'll make a great nation of your children. And they took matters into their own hands, because Sarah was old and and was barren, could not have a child. Um, She said, go in unto my handmaid, Hagar. And so Hagar had a child, and God kept his promise. Now it wasn't his plan. As far as it's not what Abraham, it was, it was fruit of Abraham's disobedience, but God kept his promise and made a great nation of Ishmael. And the, the two sons of Abraham, Ishmael and Isaac, their descendants have been fighting to this day, millennia later. They, the greatest conflicts in our world history come from Abraham's two children, Isaac and Ishmael. And then we saw on New Year's Day, Genesis 17, God's repeated promise. I promised that I would give you a promised child. You took matters into your own hands. I would give you a child of faith. You didn't believe me, so you had a child of the flesh. And, and we had that repeated promise, and that was our message in Genesis 17. Before we jump, if you, if you have Bibles, I would encourage you to turn there. We're going to look at this entire chapter together this morning, and I always believe you'll get more out of the message if you follow along and see it for yourself. If you don't have a copy of God's Word, there should be one in the pew rack in front of you. If there is any power in my preaching, or for that matter, anyone's preaching at any church that you go to, if there's any lasting eternal power, uh, that power is found in the Word of God being delivered to us through, by the Spirit of God in our lives. It's not based on the oratory skills of the pastor so let's follow along and see that but before we jump into this morning's text I want to read in just a moment a Facebook post that a pastor friend of mine made this week we have a, pic, a, a picture of the uh, of this pastor and his wife their names Donald and Marissa Savini I've known the Savinis uh, since they were single college students dating they were high school sweethearts and they came to uh, Bible college and and I knew them then and through the years, uh, we've become friends and, and have grown a little bit closer. They're now married parents and church planners in her hometown area of Cape Cod, Massachusetts. And I think we have a picture of their family, they have four young boys, one uh, who has severe special needs and is, uh, that, that has autism, and a beautiful family. Um, they went a few years ago to plant this new church in Cape Cod. Our church has had a part in this family, and that church being planted there. And, and uh, we've prayed, we've, we've sent some funds um, to help get that church off the ground. And this family has faced some challenges, as every family does. Um, they're both—both both mom and dad are bivocational. They both work full-time jobs uh, because of the fact—the cost of living there and, and trying to get a church off the ground without a whole lot of financial support behind them. In addition, um, they've both been going back to school, and Marissa has gone, I, I think, uh, nursing school and is going to get her—or maybe has gotten that degree and has finished that. They've been doing that with four young sons. Um, they have that challenges of starting a church from scratch in an expensive region of the country. Um, they have all of these things. And I know of some of the things. We were with them in October at a pastor's retreat and got to talk some. And we text most weeks. They're actually coming. They'll be here this summer. They want to bring their whole family. They want to see our church and they want to be here in our area for a week or so. And, and he'll be speaking on a Sunday, on a Tuesday evening, actually, one of our summer Tuesday nights. And, and, um, and, and so I know of some of the things they've walked through that some things I'm not sharing um, in the last year or so, but they've had setbacks with their church meeting place and their family's rental where they live. They've had to move and, and just get a winter rental, because unexpectedly they got kicked out of the other place where they were. The, the owners decided to sell, and they were in a month-to-month spot at that point, and just all of these things. And this week He posted this video along with a caption this week, um, right around the corner from their rental home. He posted this caption of the water with the fog there, and and he was standing, he said, this is just a short walk from our home where we live. And they, they went, they were on a walk, and they saw this with the fog in, and here's what he said about this view. He said, it's foggy today. Around the corner from our winter rental, when you stand on the shore, you can't see the other side of the water in any direction. I've been in this same spot on sunny days and sunset evenings when it looked like a priceless painting, and it was easy to see the land and houses across the water on the other side. He said, even though I can't see the other side today, I know it's there because I've seen it before. I have confidence that if I got in a boat and headed across the water, sooner or later I'd hit land. It's there. I've seen it with my own eyes. In our lives right now, we honestly can't see the other side. The side of answers, the side of comfort, of safety, of security. We've been searching for a place to live for our family and have to be out of this winter rental by May 1st, and it feels like we keep coming up short. Not many options to choose from, and a lot of it is just waiting. It's unclear at best, and frankly, a little scary. Yet even though I can't see the other side, and I don't see our answer yet, I still know it's there. I have confidence it's there, and we can walk through this life one step at a time, one day at a time, knowing that He will take care of us. We can walk in faith, following Jesus, even when it's foggy out, because I've seen Him do it before. I have seen and lived in the goodness of God. Maybe you're in a fog today in your life. Rest in the promises of God, and remember all all the times He's led you through it before. The sun will shine again. And as for me and my house, we'll walk through the fog together. It's going to clear up soon. How many of you can relate about a foggy season in life? Right? Sure. Maybe some of you are there today. Maybe you're not. Maybe the sun is shining. Life is full of seasons, isn't it? And there are times where it's seasons of, 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 of sunshine and joy and everything's good, and there are seasons of fog, and, and where we ask God, what are you doing, and how is this possibly going to work out? How, how could your promises possibly be true based on the circumstances of my life? Where is all of this leading, and your plans and your promises seem impossible, God? And this morning, I want to bring a message from Genesis 18 that I've titled, Our Response to God's seemingly impossible plans. Our responses Our response to God's seemingly impossible plans. You see, in this chapter of Genesis chapter number 18, uh, we've just had God in 17 repeat his promise to to Abraham that Sarah would actually have a son. He didn't need to take matters into his own hands, that, that God's promise was still there. And we come to Genesis 18, and we're going to see two of God's plans. We're going to see God's plan for life. We're going to see he's going to talk more about um, the promised son Isaac that would come, and then we're going to see God's plan for death. He's going to talk about the fact that where Abraham's nephew lives, Lot lives in Sodom and Gomorrah, a place of debauchery, a place of vile, evil, wickedness, and God is going to have a plan to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. We see two of God's plans, a plan to bring life, not only in Abraham's family, but through Isaac, through his bloodline, to bring life to the whole world. He said, in your children, in your family, will all the nations be blessed. I'm going to bring life unlike you could ever ever imagine? And I'm also going to bring destruction and death in his plan for Sodom and Gomorrah. And we're going to see the reality is that Abraham, Abraham didn't quite understand either of the plans. There was one I think that Abraham liked, he was excited about, but he didn't see how it was possible. And there was another that we know we're going to see this morning that Abraham did not like. And we're going to look and see Sarah's responses and Abraham's responses and see what should our response be when God's plans seem confusing, difficult, and maybe even utterly impossible. What should our response be in the foggy seasons of life? How should we walk through when God's promises and God's plans don't seem like they could be possible? Let's get some answers from God's Word this morning, shall we, church? We're going to look at this chapter together, Genesis 18, beginning in verse number 1. The Bible says, and the Lord appeared unto him, unto Abraham, in the plains of Mamre, and he sat in the tent door in the heat of the day. Middle of the day, in this region, in the Middle East, people did not do much work. Okay, I I like, some countries still do this. They shut down in the afternoon for like a siesta or a time of rest I, I, I would I would vote whoever in that would present that as a bill in america let 's go get an afternoon nap every day right and uh, isn 't it, isn't it terrible the way that life works when they force you to take naps you don 't want one, and when you want one, you can never get one isn 't that it 's just terrible and, and and so in this in the heat of the day, people were not out working. they would go in that heat of the day and just try to rest and survive and make it through. This is where we 're at Abraham is sitting. In the shade, in the, in the door of his tent, verse 2, and he lift up his eyes and looked, and lo, three men stood by him. This was strange, because people, again, were not walking or working, nobody wanted to be out doing anything physical at this time, and he had been sitting there and didn't see them, and all of a sudden, three men stood by him. And when he saw them, he ran to meet them from the tent door, and bowed himself toward the ground." What's the third word of this chapter? Chapter 18, verse number 1. What's the third word? And the who? And the who? Lord. It's a capital L. It's not, it's not a title for a master. This is, this is deity. In the Bible, you're reading the Old Testament, there are times where God will come down and make an appearance to man. We call that a theophany. There are times when Christ will come down, and we call that a Christophany, and a, a revealing or an appearing of God or, or Jesus in the Old Testament to people where they could see them. And that is what is happening here. We have, we have God and we have, we have the Lord and two angels, the Bible will see it later, coming to meet Abraham after this promise. Look at verse number three. And, and Abraham said, My Lord, if now I have found favor in thy sight, pass not away, I pray thee, from thy servant. Very hospitable culture. If somebody comes to your your your, your home, your tent in that time, you're going to honor them uh, and you're going to feed them. I'm not sure that Abraham quite knew who was here with him yet. I think he figures it out a little later in the chapter. But he says, Please let us take care of you. Let us serve you. And this is interesting. Abraham at age ninety-nine, he's he's old, he's wealthy. He's greatly respected, but I love that he was not too old or too important to be a servant. I love that. He had servants, and he could have called them and said, go, but Abraham ran. And I almost preached a message. There's so much in God's Word, and if, I, if, if we got to get through Genesis at some point, right? So I can't preach everything, but I almost preached a message about the types of servants that we can be. But From this passage about Abraham, I could have preached an entire message, and if you're a teacher or a preacher listening to this sometime later, feel free to take these thoughts and develop a message on what type of servants we should be just for free. I'll just throw this in. It's not my message for free. I'll give you an outline here. We see here, Abraham served the Lord. In verse number two, we see he served the Lord personally. He served the Lord personally. He lifted up his eyes. He ran. By the way, church family, don't expect somebody else to do what you can do and what I can do. Not only that, Abraham served the Lord immediately. He ran as a 99-year-old man. He served the Lord humbly. Look at verse number 4. Let a little water, I pray you, be fetched, and wash your feet, and rest yourselves under the tree, and I will fetch a morsel of bread, and comfort your hearts. After that you shall pass on, for therefore you come to your servant. And they said, so do as thou hast said. He humbled himself and said, let me go get a meal ready. Let me help you. In verse 1, he bowed before them, shows great humility, he, and then he, we see Abraham serve cooperatively. Look at verse number 6. And Abraham hastened into the tent unto Sarah and said, Make ready quickly three measures of fine meal, knead it, and make cakes upon the hearth, something probably like a pita bread. Get that ready. We've got to make some, we've got some people here. we got to get some. And so he's working together. I'm going to talk a little bit more about that tonight at five o'clock in our series on sacred cows. I'm going to talk about how, how we ought to work together with other believers. And uh, tonight's message is entitled, How to Treat Other Cattle Farmers. And so you come back tonight at five and we'll have a good time there. Look at verse number seven. He served God. He, was a, he served generously. Verse number seven. And Abraham ran under the herd and fetched a calf tender and good and gave it unto a young man and he hasted to dress it. And he took butter and milk and the calf which he had dressed and set it before them. And he stood by them under the tree and they did eat. He served personally and immediately. He served humbly. He served cooperatively and generously. What a great example. He gave a feast. Instead of just a little bit of bread to keep going, he gave a feast. By the way, this is, I believe, it's definitely the first time, I think it's the only time we see uh, God or Christ eating a meal with other humans before the incarnation of Jesus in the New Testament. What is Abraham known as? The Bible describes him in another place as the friend of God. We see now God eating here at Abraham's tent. He's welcomed him in and, and Abraham there ready to serve and he's standing and he's watching. A great pattern for the type of servants we should be. Now look at verse number 9. And they, that is God and the two angels, they said unto him, where is Sarah thy wife? And he said, behold, in the tent. And he said, I will certainly return unto thee according to the time of life. And lo, Sarah thy wife shall have a son. And Sarah heard it in the tent door which was behind him. This is, this she's, they they already heard the promise you're going to have a baby. That's not possible at that point. She's in her 70s, and so she says, go in into my handmaid. That's how we'll have a baby. And by the way, legally speaking, that was actually not illegal. It was actually culturally acceptable, but it was not morally or spiritually acceptable based on what God wanted them to do. And, and, and so now, now all of a sudden, Sarah thinks she's making some cake for some guests, and now she finds out these aren't any ordinary guests these they know and it says a year from now i'm coming back and you're going to have a baby i'm going to visit you verse 11 now abraham and sarah were old and well stricken in age and it ceased to be with sarah after the manner of women sarah was close to 90 years old and to paraphrase this verse her years of hot flashes were well behind her all right she is done with all of that she's done and she even says that, I, I'm, I'm, I'm 90 years old, what is happening right now? Verse number, verse number 12, therefore, Sarah did exactly what all of you would do if you were told this at that age, therefore Sarah what church, she what? But I want you to see the two words, she laughed where? Within herself, saying after I'm waxed old, shall I have pleasure, my Lord being old also? I mean, have you seen Abraham, he's 100 years old, like what, what is, what's happening here? But she laughed within herself. (laughs) She hears, she's in the tent, she's not seen, she hears, that's not happening. I don't know what God's plan is, but this is not it. Verse number 13, and the Lord said unto Abraham, wherefore did Sarah laugh, saying, shall I have a surety, bear a child which am old? Is it interesting that God knows our hearts? He knows our thoughts, and Sarah's kind of like, what? Who, how did they hear me laugh? How did they know what I'm saying? I, that was just—I was talking to myself in here. That was just inside myself. Verse 14. Would you read verse number 14 aloud? Here's what God says to Abraham with Sarah in earshot. Verse 14 aloud. Ready? Begin. Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the time appointed, I will return unto thee according to the time of life, and Sarah shall have a son. Kind of a wake-up call. Abraham. You've seen me work, you've seen me bless, you've seen me do miracles, I've worked in your life, and Sarah, is anything too hard for the Lord? And of course, that's a rhetorical question, but I say on this February Sunday morning in Newport Beach, California, whatever you're walking through and you think is impossible, I repeat that rhetorical question, is anything too hard for the Lord? What an encouraging verse. Verse 15, then Sarah denied, saying, I laugh not. What, what, what are you talking about? Nobody heard me laugh. That was inside. I, for she was afraid, and she said, nay. But, uh, and he said, nay, but thou didst laugh. Go, oh, You did laugh. Nobody might have heard you, but I'm God. I know. I know your heart. And the men rose up from thence and looked towards Sodom. And Abraham went with them to bring them on the way. And the Lord said, shall I hide from Abraham that thing which I do? Being uh, Abraham's going now. They're walking, and they're looking towards Sodom. And it's almost like we get a picture into, into God's uh, internal discourse, and he says, Abraham's my friend. He's the, the, promise, the chosen one that's going to bring um, my, my, my people um, to, to this earth. Should I let him know what I'm about to do? Am I going to hide this from him? Verse number 18, seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. I think part of this was, he needs to see how I deal with nations that don't follow my plan. Because what I'm doing to them could very well happen to these people. I need, And I I think that's kind of what God's saying there. Verse 19, for I know him, that he will command his children and his household after him, and they shall keep the way of the Lord to do justice and judgment, that the Lord may bring upon Abraham that which he hath spoken of him. And the Lord said, because the cry of Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and because their sin is very grievous. I will go down now and see whether they have done altogether according to the cry of it, which has come unto me. And if not, I will know. And the men turned their faces from thence. The angels went away and went toward Sodom, but Abraham stood yet before the Lord. So now it's just we have the plan. I'm going to give you life, I'm going to give you a child. Sarah doubts it. And now now we have the plan of life, and now we have Abraham. It's just God and Abraham standing there talking face to face. And he's going to tell them his plan for death, for judgment. And it's an interesting conversation, many of you know this story. But, but Abraham kind of gets into this negotiation with God, this time of prayer. Verse number 20, 23, and Abraham drew near and said, "Wilt thou also destroy the righteous with the wicked? God, I, I know the kind of God you are, are you going to destroy really good people because of the sins of really bad people? Verse 24, peradventure, there be 50 righteous within the city. Wilt thou also destroy and not spare the place for the 50 righteous that are therein? So Abraham thinks, well, maybe, maybe I can get, hey, God, are you really going to do that? What if there's 50 people there that love you and are following you? And by the way, never underestimate the power of a remnant. Never underestimate the power of a small group of people that are passionate about God. And then God says in verse 25, or actually Abraham, he kind of appeals to God's character and nature, verse 25, that be far from thee to do after this manner, that's not the kind of God you are, to slay the righteous with the wicked, and that the righteous should be as the wicked, that be far from thee, shall not the judge of the earth do right? He's kind of appealing to God's nature and character. Verse 26, and the Lord said, if I find in Sodom 50 righteous within the city, then I will spare all the place for their sakes. Again. Again great reminder that, that prayer works. God does hear our prayers. And my finite brain can't understand all of the foreknowledge of, of, of an infinite God, but what I see here is, he says, I'm going to destroy this place, and Abraham says, that's not the God you are. You're a loving, merciful, kind God, and you have righteous people. Is that? now? you are a God of holiness and justice and righteousness, but are you really going to destroy all the righteous? All, all of the, the, the righteous, if, we, if there's 50 there, would you save it? And God says yes. And I think Abraham was kind of like, oh, I, I didn't think he would do that. I don't know if that's for sure. This is just the Ryan Thompson commentary coming in here. I don't know for sure, but I kind of think he was like, I didn't expect him. Kind of like, you know, kids ask for something and then you say yes. and Oh, really? Oh, I should ask for more. I didn't know I was going to get a yes here. I think Abraham was like, and I think Abraham was kind of like, wow. He said yes, but, but I know that that's a really bad place. I don't know if there's 50 there. Wait a second. I need, to, I need to change the terms. Go to verse number 20, uh, 27. Abraham answered and said, Behold, now I have taken upon me to speak unto the Lord, which am but dust and ashes. I know I'm nobody, but would you listen? Peradventure there shall lack five of the fifty righteous. Will it destroy all the city for lack of five? And he said, If I find there forty and five, I will not destroy it. Abraham was like, okay, maybe I can get this number lower, because I don't think there's fifty good people there, but maybe would you do it for forty-five? And verse number, verse number 29, and he spake unto him yet again and said, Peradventure, there should be 40 found there. And he said, I'll not do it for 40's sake. And he said unto him, Oh, let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak. Peradventure, there shall be 30 found there. And he said, I'll not do it if I find 30 there. And he said, Behold, now I have taken upon me to speak unto the Lord. Peradventure, there should be 20 found there. And he said, I'll not destroy it for 20's sake. And he said, Oh, let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak yet, but this once, my last, last offer. Peradventure, 10 shall be found there. And he said, I will not destroy it for 10's sake. And the Lord went his way as soon as he had left communing with Abraham, and Abraham returned unto his place. We're going to see next Sunday that if Lot had just led his family in ways of righteousness, Sodom and Gomorrah would have been saved. We're going to look at that next week, next Sunday morning, the next chapter. But here it is. It's kind of like any of you ever do this with your kids? They come, Mom, I'm full. I I can't eat the rest of this. Okay, five more bites. Anybody ever do that? Give them the number of how many bites they have to eat. And then, oh, uh, can I do it just for four? Okay, four more bites, they have to eat big bites, though. What about three? All right, three, but it's got to be all the vegetables. And they, they negotiate, right, down to whatever they, they — they, and this is kind of what happens here. It starts at 50 and goes down to 10, and we see Abraham and God's plan. And we learn from here — and thank you, you've listened well, I know that's a, a lot of introduction — but what we learn here. That God's plan for life, Abraham couldn't comprehend in the first half of the chapter. And Sarah couldn't comprehend. How's that possible? 90 and 100? Having a child? I think they liked the promise. I think they liked God's plan there. The idea that Sarah, who had been barren, would have a child. I think she liked it. But God's plan was impossible. And then God's plan of death and judgment for Sodom and Gomorrah. I think we can say Abraham didn't like it. He didn't like that plan, and by the way, there are some times that things in your life and in my life, there are things that I might like but I think are impossible, and there are some things that I don't like, and I wonder, why is this happening? Why is God letting that come into my life? How should we respond? And I think Abraham's kind of like, on the first plan, how are we going to do this? On the second one, do you really have to do this, God? Have you ever been there? You can't comprehend God's plan. You don't like what he's doing. Abraham, I like one of your plans, it's just not realistic. I really don't like another one of your plans, is there any way we could change it? And what can we learn from Abraham and Sarah as they walk through the prospects of confusing, impossible, difficult, painful, and even unwanted portions of of God's plan for their lives? How did they respond, and how do we often respond when faced with God's seemingly impossible plans? I'm going to go quickly, we've, we've seen the whole chapter. I'm going to pull out a few thoughts. I'm going to ask us to consider, how are we walking through God's plans for our lives? I want you to see how we often respond. How do we often respond? Number one, we often respond with doubt in God's plans, don't we? What did Sarah say? <laughs> no way. No way. It's not happening. I know he keeps telling you that Abraham, but it's not happening. Doubt, and don't we doubt what God is doing. God gives a promise, and we look at the world around us, and we look at our giftings, and we look at our talents, and we look at our mistakes, and we look at what's happening in our lives. We look at where we're at, and we say, there's no way God could do that. And I want to say to you, is anything too hard for the Lord? Doubt in God's plan. How do we often respond to the seemingly impossible plans and promises of God? We doubt his plan. Well, this makes no sense. I know God's word promises this and says my life will be better if I live like that, but there's just no way that's true. God, I can't see it, so I'm not going to believe it. But not only do we doubt God's plan, I see another way we often respond is disbelief in God's word. That God Himself had told Sarah, you're going to do this, and she disbelieved. She laughed within herself. We disbelieve, and we see because of the circumstances of life, well, that might have been a good book for people 100 years ago or 500 years ago, but you don't know what I'm going through in the 21st century. We disbelieve that God's Word has what we need for our lives today. I see then, Sarah, in verse number 15, the first three words. Then Sarah denied. We deny our own doubt, denial of our doubt. No, 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 I never doubted you, God. No, 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 I didn't do that. And then I see dishonesty about her actions. She said, I, I laughed not. And then I see why did she do these things, because of fear. The Bible says in verse 15, for she was afraid. Why did she deny that she doubted, and why did she, why, why did she, why was she dishonest about what she'd actually done? Because she was scared of what God would do if, she, if he knew the truth. But here's the problem, he already knew the truth. But there, that fear, and it's interesting in your life and mine, that fear of what God's doing in our lives often leads us to make unhealthy and unwise choices. We get scared, don't we? I gave my life to God and this is what happened and I don't know how that could possibly work out and I don't know how he could work all of this out together for good and so our fear of what God's doing in our lives, it can often lead us to make unhealthy and unwise decisions. So that's how we often respond. How should we respond? How should we respond? Number one, I would say in faith. What does God say in verse 14? Is anything too hard for the Lord? I want you to trust me. Have I ever let you down, Abraham? Have I ever let you down, Sarah? Oh, I know you've had heartaches, and I know you've had struggles, and I know you've had some things in your life you didn't like, and you didn't—but have I ever left you? Have I ever—have I not been that God that you need? And we should respond in faith, God, I don't understand your word here. I don't understand what you're doing. I don't—might not even like it, but God, I trust you. As Job said, though he slay me, I don't like what he's doing in my life, yet will I trust in him. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. God. I can't see how this is working together for good, but we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. God, I don't, I can't trace you, but I trust you. I can't figure you out, but I'm going to rest in faith. As Donald said on his Facebook post, it's foggy today and I can't see the other side, uh, but I know there's land over there. I've seen it before and I don't know how you're going to get me through this fog, but God, you've walked me through fog before. Is anything too hard? Hard for the Lord. Kent Hughes said this in his commentary on Genesis. He said, the truth is, if, P- if God's people fully believed what he said he will do, their lives would be so different. We do not need greater things to believe. His promises to us are stupendous. We simply need to believe that he will do them because nothing is too hard for God. And so I ask you this morning, what is it in your life that you think is beyond God's power and beyond His reach? You don't know what I've done. God could never save a person like me, and to that I say, is anything too hard for the Lord? Well, there are some things in my past that that this person can't forgive me, and I can't forgive me, and I don't even know if God can forgive me, and to that I say, is anything too hard for the Lord? Well, Pastor Ryan, I've dug a deep hole this time, and I've burned some bridges. Is anything too hard for the Lord? I don't have what it takes to serve God. I'm not strong enough or talented enough. Is anything too hard for the Lord? Would you say that statement with me? Uh, Ready, begin. Is anything anything too hard for the Lord? I don't think God can send revival in this crazy upside-down world. Is anything too hard for the Lord? There's no way that broken relationship can be healed or reconciled. Is anything too hard for the Lord? I'm not sure the Lord could ever use me again after what I've done. Is anything too hard for the Lord? Well, I just don't think a Bible-believing church that takes a strong stand on Scripture can thrive in California in 2023. Is anything too hard for the Lord? What is it that God wants to do that you don't believe that He can? I ask you the question that God asked Sarah in her season of doubt, is anything too hard for the Lord? Now there are times, this is not a blanket, he's not a genie in a bottle, I'm not giving you a blanket statement. Well, I want to I I win the slam dunk contest, they had that last night at the All-Star weekend. So pastor, that's my, is anything too hard for the Lord? Well it's got to be God's plan, okay? And if you look at me, based on my DNA and my vertical jumping ability, it is not in God's plan that I will ever win the slam dunk contest at the NBA All-Star weekend. So this is not a blanket statement that got a genie in the bottle. This is when God is working, and we think there's no way he could use this for his glory. This is when he gives us a promise, and we think, there's no way that applies to me, and that's where we need to step back and say, God, I can't figure it out, and I can't see it, but I trust you as anything. What was God trying to get Sarah to do? Would you just trust that I'm strong enough to bring you through this foggy season in your life? Number two, how should we respond? To God's seemingly impossible plans in our lives. Number two, with integrity. Look at verse number 19. The first four words. What did God say about Abraham? For I know him. What is God saying here as you read that verse? I know what kind of man Abraham is. I can trust him with this information. I can trust him with my plans. I can trust him with this responsibility because I know the kind of man he is. I know the kind of character that he has. I know he's a, who he is. I can trust him with my plan. Sarah has been barren for 90 years. Abraham is almost 100, and he and his wife have never had a child together. But God is talking to, to, about the type of father he would be in verse 19. I know him that he will command his children and his household after him. By the way, parents, that's a great reminder there. It's okay to be the parent. Abraham would command his children. Don't buy into popular psychology that you need to be their best friend, and everything is a negotiation, and, and they hold you hostage. You can be the parent. It's all right to command your children in areas of righteousness. God gave you that spiritual responsibility, and that's another message for another time, but again, you're getting some free messages today. It's like a three-for-one special today. But what does God say? He's talking about the type of father he would be, in Abraham's. they don't yet have this child. It's a good reminder we ought to be who we're supposed to be even when things haven't turned out the way that we hoped they would. Be who you're supposed to be even when things haven't turned out the way that you hoped that they would. What does he say? I know him. I know the kind of man he is, the character that he has. So I can trust him with my plan. Even though he doesn't understand it, he might not like it, he doesn't see it, but I can, why he was a man. How should we respond? Be who you're supposed to be. By the way, before you need to be that person. People think, when I get to that point in my life, then I'll work on all of that. No, work on that now. Abraham, he said, I know the kind of man he is. I know the kind of father he's gonna be before I even given him this son of promise. Work on who you are in those seasons where you don't understand what God is doing. How else should we respond? Number three, in obedience. In obedience, I know that he's going to command his children in this household after him. I've already said that. But dads, be a spiritual leader. Moms and dads, be the parents. Command your children in ways of righteousness. Number four, how should we respond to God's seemingly impossible plans? When we don't understand what he's doing, number four, with prayer. What are the last 11 verses of this chapter all about? Abraham talking to God about parts of God's plan that Abraham didn't understand and didn't like. You know, it's all right to talk to God about parts of his plan that you don't understand and you might not even like. He's a father. Now, we we need to do it with the right heart. Jesus, he said, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? You know, it's not always wrong to, to ask why. What can be wrong is when we as a petulant child demand an answer. Sometimes the answer is because I'm the dad, that's why. You ever told your kids that? Because I'm the parent, that's why. Because I said so. Why, God? And so it's not wrong to ask sometimes in those seasons. Be careful you don't get a heart, a, a, a heart that, that demands. God sometimes gives us answers and sometimes he doesn't. That's where faith comes in. But it's not wrong to talk to God and that thing you're walking through. How much time have you spent in prayer? When you don't understand or even like God's plan and the way He's working in your life, go to Him in prayer. The Bible says, casting all our cares upon Him, for He cares for us. The songwriter said, what a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to bear, what a privilege to carry everything to Him in prayer. Here's what he said, oh, what peace we often forfeit, and oh, what needless pain we bear. Why? All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. That fog you're walking through, have you prayed about it? Have you talked to God? Have you asked somebody else to come alongside you and pray with you? And then lastly, what's a great response when God's ways don't seem to make a whole lot of sense to you? I would say number five, a heart of service. What was Abraham's focus here in the the end of the chapter? God, how can you use me to help others in your plan? His heart was for his family and his loved ones, Lot and Lot's children. His heart was to help the wicked inhabitants of Sodom and Gomorrah. God, don't destroy them. Would you, would you not? I love, I love some of those people. I know some of those people. That's my family. His heart was not, well, it doesn't affect me, so who cares? No, his heart was, there's some people that need God. How can I use my relationship with God to help them? How can I help what's going on with, in their lives that they might not even know about? a heart of service. What should you do and what should I do when God is working in ways we don't understand? One thing we should do is look for others we can serve. How can we look outside of our fog and help somebody else in their time of need? You don't understand what what, what God is doing, you don't like what God is doing? Do you find yourself in a fog this morning? You can't see the shore on the other side? How How will you respond? Here's the reality, if you go back and study it, the one on the left is actually, I think all of them, Sarah. Now, this doesn't mean Abraham never doubted, but for this chapter, it's all Sarah. And Sarah responds the way that I often respond when I don't understand what God's doing, or maybe don't like what He's doing, or maybe don't agree with His Word on something in my life and want it to be something else. And the one on the right is really Abraham. Abraham, that man of faith, he's in Hebrews 11, what we call the hall of faith chapter. Abraham, that man of integrity, that man that did what he was supposed to do, that man of prayer, and that man that had a heart to serve others. Who are we going to be more like as we walk through our foggy seasons? More like Sarah or more like Abraham? How should we respond to God's seemingly impossible plans and promises in our lives